Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. If you'll turn back with me to Acts chapter 27, we'll go through these first 26 verses together. And um, we are finally out of the courtroom drama uh, series. It seemed like for the last three or four chapters, Paul was in court every week here. Um, And uh, now Paul, along with a couple of traveling companions, Luke, uh, the author of Acts, as well as uh, a fellow named Aristarchus, they're all on their way, finally, uh, to Rome for Paul to have his case heard before the Roman emperor. They're under the guard of a Roman centurion. And uh, chapter 27 details that journey. We're going to look at the first half or so of their trip this morning. It's quite a journey. Uh, I mean, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot for us to learn about trusting the Lord and about faithfully living on mission, telling others about Jesus. Before we go through it verse by verse, let's ask God's blessing on our time together. Lord, we do ask that your Holy Spirit would reveal the truth in these 26 verses to us. Uh, reads a lot like a historical account, but there, there's, there's a lot here that reminds us of what we're to do should we find ourselves in similar situations, storms in life, how we're to respond. We're reminded even why you, why you send them our way. And um, Lord, I pray that as Charles Spurgeon said, that we would learn to kiss the waves that cast us against the rock of ages. May that be our testimony. Um, God, may we use uh, the difficult circumstances that we find ourselves in. May we use them to point others to Jesus Christ, to give others hope, the hope that we have. No matter what may come our way, you're always present and you're always powerful and you have a purpose in it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at the departure. It's the first 13 verses. It's a lot, almost like itinerary. They went here, then they went here, and they went here. But verses 1 and 2 let us know that the Roman governor of Palestine, he uh, finally sends Paul and um, certain other prisoners to Rome. He sends them under the charge of a Roman centurion named Julius. And uh, in verses 1 and 2, the use of the pronouns we and us, uh, it informs us that Luke And Aristarchus, uh, he's mentioned in a couple of Paul's epistles as a friend, a partner of Paul in ministry. They were both allowed to accompany Paul uh, on this journey. And so they leave Caesarea, and the plan is to sail along the coast of Asia, what you and I know as modern-day Turkey, as they head over to Rome. Uh, Now, they didn't go far. Traveling by boat is, is a slow Uh, method of travel, especially when you're going against the wind. Uh, But in verse 3, they make their very first stop. They pause in Sidon. That's just north of Israel. And it says that the Roman centurion here in verse 3, he courteously entreated Paul and he gave him liberty to go unto his friends to refresh himself there. 
So it's likely that this centurion gave Paul such liberty because he wasn't, he might have been a prisoner, but he wasn't a condemned man yet. He was headed to go on trial before Caesar. Paul was very different than all the other prisoners uh, on that journey. Paul was going to have his case heard before Caesar. Probably the vast majority of them were going to die in the Roman arena. And what verse 3 describes is, is Paul probably meeting up with some Christians from churches in that area. Him having an opportunity to minister to them and they to him. But then verse 4 informs us that the very next day they leave to continue their journey. And uh, it says they go just north of the island of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. Now that's an important description for everything that's about to happen here in the rest of chapter 27. Uh, the winds in this part of the world, they blow from west to east. Um, and Paul and his companions are going northwest. So they're going against the wind. And really everything that happens from here on out uh, is contrary to them. But they finally arrive, it says, on the southwest coast of Turkey. And then verse 6 tells us that the centurion found a ship of Alexandria. That's in Egypt. It was sailing to Italy, and he put us therein. All right, so that's kind of like you and I having a stop at an airport, needing to change planes to get to our final destination. Verse 7 then describes, once again, it says that the wind did not suffer us. And so they sail under the shelter of the island of Crete. And in verse 8 they finally make it to a harbor on the south side of that island is known as the Fair Havens. That sounds like a nice place, doesn't it? The Fair Havens. Uh, if I ever need to move to a retirement community, I'd like it to have a name like that. The Fair Havens. Um, the interesting thing, though, is that it really wasn't that at all. <laughs> um, one commentator suggested that the local chamber of commerce must have given it that uh, name to try to attract people there. Because while it was a harbor, it didn't provide any kind of protection from those strong westerly winds. And there was not a whole lot going on inland either. Not a big city, not an exciting port. Uh, really just what we might call a little bit of a hick town called Lassia. And all of this matters uh, because the opportunity to make progress uh, to Rome, it's shrinking rapidly. We got to understand in the Mediterranean Sea, there were storms that uh, they were the worst in the winter season. Nobody, nobody sailed during the winter. Most ships would stop sailing by the month of October. And verse 9 says, Now when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast had already been passed, Paul admonished them. that The fast that Luke refers to here in verse 9 is the fast on the Day of Atonement, on that Jewish uh, feast. And that typically happens in late September. So it's getting very dangerous to sail. Time is running out, and Paul admonishes the crew in verse 10. Here's what he says. Sirs, I perceive that this voyage, it's going to be with much hurt, much damage, not only to the lading and the ship, but even our own lives. Now, Paul might have been speaking prophetically here. It doesn't tell us that God gave him that message or that insight, but he just as much might have been uh, speaking as a seasoned traveler. If, you, you know, if you've got maps in the back of your Bibles, a lot of them have that. You can see Paul's missionary journeys, the first one, then the second, and the third. I mean, it looks like spaghetti sometimes. He went everywhere. If you calculated up all those uh, trips and, and where he went, Paul sailed at least 3,500 miles by sea. Uh, he knew the seasons. 
He knew the conditions. According to 2 Corinthians eleven twenty five. by this time, Paul had already been shipwrecked three times. I don't know about you. I mean, if I went on a plane, went down, I'm not getting back on a plane. Um, but Paul had already been shipwrecked three times. Verse 11, it lets us know that the Roman centurion, he ignored Paul's advisement, and he listened to the ship crew, and he decided to press on. One reason, <coughs> one reason that they decided uh, to do this is told to us in verse 12. It says, the haven was not commodious to winter in. Meaning that the fair havens, they were really not a fair haven when winter west winds would come blowing or when you had to spend a few months there just sitting around in that little town. So their plan is just to head a few miles west, right along the coast of Crete, because there's a better harbor over there, one called Phoenix. And the thinking is this, Phoenix is safer, it's more protected. And if we got a winter somewhere for a few months before we set sail again, it might as well be a place that's got a little bit more interesting of a port city to spend time in. Well, how'd that plan turn out? Not so good, right? Verses 13 to 21, it revealed to us the danger that they encountered. Verse 13, they set sail out of the fair havens. They're just planning really a short little day trip along the coast over to Phoenix to that better harbor. But once they get out of the fair havens, the wind starts blowing, starts blowing. Not just any wind, uh, verse 14 calls it a Euroclidon. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a mean storm, don't it? Euroclidon. Uh, we don't have hurricanes in Wisconsin where I'm from. Hurricanes, um, 2002 when I was in the army. So I've been through a few tropical storms and hurricanes. Um, I've always wondered this though, about, about hurricanes. Uh, There'll be governors, you know, politicians. Now, you need to take this storm serious. They might tell you you need to evacuate. Definitely don't go out it. But what do you see? You see people that, no, I'm not evacuating. They got Jim Cantore's down there trying to hold on for dear life. And there's some goofball out there in the waves, right? And, you know, and I always wondered, uh, here's my thought. If they would name them something like Euroclidon, or Super Megatron 5000, instead of Tropical Storm Ophelia, or, you know, Hurricane Margaret. Maybe people pay more attention, take them a little more seriously. This is a serious storm, this Euroclidon. Uh, by the descriptions here, it says there was no anchoring, that there was going to be no intentional directional sailing possible. Verse 15 says we can only let her drive. We can only let the ship be driven by the storm. Uh, verse 16 mentions, we had much work to come by the boat. And, and so that's referring to everybody on board, probably Paul and Luke having to help. They had to help haul the lifeboat in. The lifeboat would be towed behind the ship. And it's probably at this point filled with torrential rainwater. It's acting like this big unwanted anchor. And the storm was so bad that verse 17 says they used helps under girding the ship. What it's talking about here is they, they got cables and they ran them underneath the ship and back over the other side trying to hold the thing together like big clamps. When you got to do that, you and your ship are in a bad way. It's a dangerous storm. Verses 18 and 19, we were exceedingly tossed with the tempest. Next day, they lightened the ship. The third day, we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. All that grain headed from Egypt to Italy is now sinking. This kind of sounds like what Paul had warned them of back in verse 10, doesn't it? 
And he said, I perceive this voyage is going to be with hurt and damage, not only to the lady in the ship, but our, our own lives. And it doesn't get better. Verse 20 says, when neither sun nor stars in many days had appeared, no small tempest lay on us. All hope that we should be saved was then taken away. Sailors need the sun and stars to navigate at that time. They didn't have GPSs like some of you have in your boats. They didn't have a compass. Uh, they are in a hopeless place. So it says right there. All hope that we should be saved was taken away. And then Paul says this in verse 21. Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and have gained this harm and loss. Well, that's helpful, isn't it? And I told you so. If that was what Paul was doing here, no, it wouldn't be helpful. But that's not what Paul's doing here. That's not what he's saying by what he just said. Uh, yeah, he's reminding them of what he told them. But he's doing so with a purpose. He wants to connect that previous warning to what he's about to say in verses 22 and through 26. Uh, in what is certainly a hopeless situation, Paul's about to give them some hope. But first of all, he wants to remind them about what he had said and how that had come true. Just so maybe they will believe what he's about to say. And they might believe in the one who Paul lived to testify about. And in verses 22 to 26, we see Paul's declaration. He doesn't stop with that. He doesn't just say, well, y'all should have listened to me. Um, Listen to Paul's words to everyone in that storm, beginning in verse 22. I exhort you, be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. Be of good cheer, Paul says. The same message that Jesus gave to Paul way back in that Roman army barracks prison cell after he'd been rescued from that violent Jewish mob. Be of good cheer. That's what Jesus told Paul, and that's what Paul tells these guys, be of good cheer. And here's why. None of you are going to be killed in this storm. They had lost all hope. But you know what? Um, that is a perfect scenario for a follower of Jesus to point people to where hope is found, isn't it? And Paul says in verse 23, For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whose I serve, let me tell you, there's a lot in that declaration right there. They hadn't believed Paul's warning earlier, uh, but this message of hope, this one came to Paul straight from the Lord. He says, who's I am? <laughs> and Paul tells them there, I belong to the Lord whom I serve. And so what a comfort Paul must have had in that terrible, in that deadly storm by remembering, I belong to God. I belong to God, whose I am. Christian, don't forget that whenever you find yourself in a storm, don't forget whose you are. Don't forget whose I am. And this is such a clear reminder that though you and I, we might belong to God, that doesn't mean everything's going to go perfectly all the time in our lives. Everything's going to be easy for the Christian. Paul's whole life really testifies of that. But it does mean this. Uh, it, mean that, it means that God's watchful eye God's powerful hand, it's always present in our storms, always. This message from the Lord through the angel to Paul, it's recorded in verse 24. The message from God says this, Fear not, Paul, because thou must be brought before Caesar. That's going to happen. 
So don't worry about what's going on now because you have a destiny. I know what it is. You're going to go before Caesar and you're going to testify to him of who Jesus is and what he has done and what he offers us. And it says, and lo, God has given thee all that sail with thee. Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God has given thee all that sail with thee. Are you in a storm this morning? Maybe there's one on the horizon. And uh, well, let me ask you this. Who is sailing with you? Who is sailing with you? What, I'm, what I mean is that, yeah, obviously you, you are the one in the storm. Um, but there might be other people affected by the storm you're going through. There's definitely other people who are watching you go through that storm. And, and so the question is, are you going to be in the, well, I've lost all hope category, or are you going to have this declaration, what Paul has here? I'm going to make it through. God is faithful. God's reminded me of whose I, I am. Is that what they're going to hear from you in the storm you're going through? Because they're going to hear a message one way or another. So what will it be? That's up to you. What are they going to witness you declare as you go through? Paul says in verse 25 and 26, I pray this is our declaration in any storm that we find ourselves in as followers of Jesus. This is what he says. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. For I believe God. I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit we must be cast on a certain island. Is that your declaration, Christian? You, you're toiling against the wind, fighting against the waves right now. Is that your declaration? I believe God. <laughs> I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. And you might think, well, Jason, I would do that just like Paul if I knew what was about to happen, if I knew what God has told me, but he hasn't told me anything. Yeah, he has. Can I remind you what he's told you? Philippians 4, 6 through 7, don't worry about anything. Instead, you're to pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for everything he's done. Then you're going to experience God's peace it exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. God told you that. God's told you this in Isaiah 12 too. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust. I will not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself, he's my strength. He's my defense. God's told you this in Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong. Be courageous. Don't be afraid, don't be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. In this storm that you find yourself in, will your declaration this morning be, I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me. Because God told me this in Psalm 9:10. Those who know you trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. I hope so, and here's why. Because just like the situation right here, just like what Paul's going through here and everybody else with him, God has, God has a purpose. He's got a purpose for you being in that storm. And quite possibly, it's not even just to strengthen your own faith, um, give you more hope, but so that those who are sailing with you, and they're hopeless. 
just like these guys were, so that they listen to your declaration and they witness your reaction of total trust in God. Listen, here's my prayer for you and God's desire for you in your storm right now. Romans 15, 13. I gave you a lot of verses. If you're going to write anyone down, write that one down. Romans 15, 13. This is what it says. May the God of all hope fill you <laughs> with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Did you get that? God wants you to be filled <laughs> with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope. And here's the thing about overflow. Overflow is not for you. Overflow is not for you. It's for others. It's for others who are sailing with you. It's for others who are watching you in your storm. Is your declaration of faith and hope, of joy and peace in your storm, is it overflowing? Is it dispensing hope to others who don't have it? Is it teaching them, this is what faith in Jesus looks like when life is hard. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Look, that is not a normal human reaction to storms. Joy, that's not normal. Peace. Hope, being of good cheer. <laughs> That's why God says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's the only way that you can do that. Here's the great news. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, he's indwelling you. And he desires to fill you. So in response to God's word this morning, in obedience to it, would you tell the Lord, would you ask the Holy Spirit, make me an overflow. Make me an overflow of hope. God, use this storm, use my reaction to it to point others to faith in Jesus Christ. Tommy, will you come and lead us in a time to respond to God's word? This